0: Hello, and welcome to Need to Know, your weekly investment podcast brought to you by the experts at Coots. I'm Sarah Muir, and I'm joined as always by Alan Higgins for our final episode of 2023. Now, each week on the podcast, we look at the three things investors need to know, which might be for the week ahead. But we also look at longer term trends. And we'd like to get Alan to read the research so you don't have to. Um, so, Alan, it's it's the final um, need to know of 2023 i didn't set you any homework for this week um but for those perhaps that missed last week you will have missed um our introduction to the coot's new cio farhad Kamal, and we, and it was very interesting hearing the, the two of you discuss your surprises for 2023 but i guess it, it's that time of 2024. year 2024 sorry 2020 sorry to yeah, talk 20- over you say I know, you can, you you're can right. tell this is not scripted and planned right <laughs> thank you for correcting me um because i'm about to talk about perhaps reflecting a little bit on 2023 it's that time of year when everybody's right. kind of looking back and i guess it was just kind of thinking about 2023's been a big year for Need to know hasn't it
1: it is and yeah because i think we've got um a lot of new listeners and it's maybe worth while kind of showing where it's come from and and also some of some of the because we have had external speakers. We haven't had for a yeah. while. I think we'll start that next year, won't we? Yeah, so
0: if you'd definitely. like to be an
1: external speaker, get in touch. But, mm. yeah, why don't you give a brief potted history?
0: Yeah, well, because it, it started actually back towards the end of 2021. Alan and I, Alan kindly came to me and said, look, we need to do something for our, the, an app that was used by Poots Clients, which was we wanted to do a little sort of investment podcast. And it was born out of that, and it's grown um And we're, we're a little bit better prepared than we used to be. We used to just go, just go on and wing it. I know sometimes it might sound like we go on and wing it now, but actually we do prepare a
1: fair bit. We do for these one now, don't we. We. dirty secret one prep prep meeting. Yes, ever since it went on to Spotify, we thought, wow. We actually better pre- at least have one <laughs> preparation meeting. So we do have one prep meeting,
0: but uh, it's it's pretty unscripted as podcasts go. Yeah. I, mean, to, I mean, to be fair, Alan, you spend almost every waking moment reading research, reading the FT, listening to Bloomberg, doing whatever. So that's you're kind of preparing basically 24-7, aren't you?
1: Yeah, that's one way of looking at it yeah so I've got, I've got an interesting piece of research from Morgan Stanley to, to talk about uh, a little later so you're right and um, yeah so for for any uh, uh younger listeners people starting their career one thing absolutely I would recommend is just keep on reading um and or listening absolutely that's one of the best ways of learning about investments i continue to do that
0: yeah okay and you did mention it um external speakers and we have covered some slightly wider topics there's just three that i wanted to pick out in addition to all the great colleagues we have within coots like monique wong who joined us a couple of times this year howard sparks our us equity expert richard way our uk equity expert we also had um Good friend of yours, James Butterfield. That's right, isn't it? James Butterfield talking about crypto. That was back for anybody that wants to listen to that. That was from the 28th of April. And um, we hopefully we'll maybe get him on in the new year. We also had, which was I think was a real coup, which I was really chuffed about, was Jamie Bartlett. He's the man behind the Crypto Queen, the BBC, the fascinating BBC podcast. Well, actually a couple of different podcasts now on sort of investment scams. And he, we had a chat with him about the psychological tricks that scammers play on potential investors, which was fascinating. That, if you want to listen to that, that was from the 16th of May. And then more recently, back in October, 26th of October, we had Ed Nottingham on, who works within the NatWest group, talking about investor psychology, which again was fascinating, especially I think it was around that time when you know we were going through a bit of a mini- correction weren't we well it wasn't that many a correction it was quite a big correction actually and it was quite interesting it was a, t- it was a 10 percenter yeah it was yeah it was but it, which yeah. as you, you as you've said on numerous occasions you can expect to see one every year but they still yeah. you know bring you up short when they do happen and it was very interesting to get ed's thoughts on how as investors we can all just um be mindful of how we're reacting emotionally in that circumstance and how we can perhaps try to be or learn to be more rational investors so those are if you're fairly new to need to know go back through have a listen to some of those because they're really interesting and slightly different sort of different themes and as I say we bring in some external speakers and it's something I think we're planning on doing a lot more in in the new year
1: and don't forget of course Ray Monahan. That was oh, a great how episode.
0: I, how could I forget no. Ray Moynihan? Yes, here are yeah, exactly. FX FX Supremo. If you didn't listen to that, my, actually, now I don't have the date of that to hand, and I should have made a note of that. I completely forgot. But you're right, absolutely. Ray Moynihan talking about his career in in uh, in, in in sort of asset management in FX was yeah, that was, <laughs> that was extremely entertaining. But um, it, yeah, yeah, it
1: was because he 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 kind of made the transition from a trader to a salesperson. And it was very interesting hearing the stories of how how he used to trade FX and how challenging it is still today, yeah. trading FX. Yeah.
0: Okay, so let, let's get on then to the to the things we need to know this week. Now, one of the things that if you've been listening to us for a while, you'll have noticed is we've slightly stepped back from doing that, that sort of weekly data update because we found that a lot of our listeners – don't necessarily listen the day it comes out, and they might listen to it. You know, catch up on a few episodes. You might be listening to this over the Christmas period. Um, so we stepped away from the data and you know what central banks are doing. However, I don't think we can have a final need to know twenty twenty three without talking about central banks, particularly the Fed that surprised everybody. I completely agree. So Mark,
1: as usual, you 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 make me focus on three things. And the Fed pivot, you know, absolutely extraordinary. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've been ar- around a lot from, you know, the Greenspan days of of uh, central banking when it was hard to discern what was really going on because uh, they didn't want to tell you in those days. But, yeah, this was extraordinary. We've got to talk about that. And then I thought, um, as it's towards the end of the year, Sarah, why don't we have a look at what we did relatively well mm-hmm. in terms of, views and also and, and and also to bring that alive what do we think right now but yeah. also what did we kind of get wrong because hey we're, we're an investment management organization we get plenty of things wrong as well what do we get wrong and any lessons learned and also what do we think now so i think those are the three points i think we want to focus on
0: yeah okay well well let's kick off with the fed then when i went into the office last week the day after this has been announced. The first thing Monique sent to me was, "Sarah, have you seen the Fed pivot?" She was very excited about it. Yeah, Monique is
1: absolutely spot on. It is it, huge, and um, we'll mention it again because it's one of the things that we've got wrong is is um, not really being in tune with the central bankers. So, um, look, basically, um, super dovish. What does dovish means? It means that uh, looking to cut rates. And I'm just going to three points that he said. Um, So in terms of the formal minutes, there was a dot plot, which is basically where the participants expect rates to go. That was lower. That was a bit of a surprise, Mm. but really what it was, it was, it was his speech afterwards. And Mm. I'm going to take out, there was many points, but I'm going to take out these three because they're worth peating. So number one, we need to start cutting rates way before. So, Sarah, he said way before. What? You know, s- strong language. Yeah. Inflation reached its 2% target. So inflation is currently a little over 3%. two, very focused on the risk of keeping rates too high for too long. Wow. Very focused on the risk of keeping rates too high. Amazing. Point three, also discussed at this very meeting, when should they cut rates? So call it a pivot, it's more like a handbrake turn. It's, it's bolt a huge fast. move. Yeah, and um, the markets loved it.
0: They did, didn't they? But I mean, I've seen, but I've since seen some people sort of being perhaps slightly critical, whether, are they, are the feds sort of slightly being kind of pushed into this more dovish language because they're trying to sort of stay one step ahead of markets?
1: I really don't think so because previously uh Jay Powell has basically pushed against any idea of easing of monetary policy. We saw that a lot in the summer, for example. So now I think it's for real. I think they're increasingly confident. And it's all to, you know, wh- where it could go wrong is the inflation view. Um, but we've we've spoken a lot about inflation, and I guess we've been moderately on the right side. We've emphasised money supply, haven't we? We've talked about yes. the different theories of inflation. These raw theories and the importance of declining money supply. So, um, no, I think it's super important. And, um, look, I'm just going to talk a little bit. Um, so, so I mentioned a Morgan Stanley report. And so Morgan Stanley, who are actually um, still a very bearish house on stocks, but to be fair, they put out a really well-balanced report out and said, okay, If this is for real, what happens? So what do I mean by that? What happens when the Fed reduces rates and inflation's under control? So in the last 40 or so years, we've seen four of them. So only four, so they are relatively rare. We did see it in 2018. And when I was a very young institutional bond manager, 1994, Um, but what happens 12 months later Morgan Stanley sent the report. The average return is plus 22% for stocks. Okay. So you can see that put simply, if the Fed is right on inflation, mm. and to a certain extent, coots because Coots are also uh, believe it's right to, to focus on lower inflation, at least based on history, it tends to be a good time for stocks. And 2018 was... The last era, the Fed took rates from zero to two and three quarters Mm. and then started cutting. We had a quick surge in markets. But over the year, it was a bit up and down. But over the year, the markets were up 14%. I think that sounds a bit more sensible. Why? um, The overall market is not cheap. Um, The overall market has been well discussed before. But however, when you take away the Magnificent Seven, uh, I'm sure most listeners know what we mean by those, no? But that's Nvidia, Microsoft, etc. And the market actually looks fair value. You know, we, do you remember we mentioned the equal-weighted S and P 500 before? We
0: did, yes, we did.
1: So the idea behind that is that instead of, for example, Apple having a seven percent weighting, it has the same weighting as everyone else, 0.2 percent. Everything's equal-weighted. Well, firstly, encouragingly, it's outperformed the main index by five percent since November. So it's already starting to move and really encouraging me equal weighted, which is basically looking at all the stocks. It's fair value. So, yeah, yeah I mean, the kind of 14 to 15 percent number that we experienced in 2018 does does look interesting to me. In 1994, when I was a young bond manager, the next 12 months was, were extraordinary, up 34 percent. I'm not okay. expecting that, but hey, who knows? So you can see it's very, very significant for markets and um and very important. Now, the
0: some some commentators are
1: saying, Oh, it's all priced in. Okay. I mean, well, I don't did, know. Are
0: you, are you- I, I, I was gonna say, explain, because we talk about often, and you hear this often if you're listening to you know financial experts talking. They say something's priced in. What does that mean? Uh, and it's- then also and then and then actually we can discuss whether it's priced or not but first of all what do we mean and is it the same if we're looking at equities and we're looking at bonds
1: no it's a it's a great question Sarah because it's it, it's very different because in bonds it's mathematical it's pretty much mathematical mm. and one you know simplistic way of looking at it is a two year treasury yield for example is eight eight pieces eight little pieces of three month deposits yeah And therefore, if current rates are five and a quarter, and just by way of example, and and two-year yields get as low as, say, 4%, then you can literally price in how many cuts are coming. And it's basically, as we stand today, 150 basis points. So priced in in bonds is mathematical. But it's interesting you mentioned equities. Completely subjective. We're into, you you know, we we love a theory here (laughs) on on Need to Know, don't we? We're We're into theories and subjectivity. You cannot prove anything, uh, and this is where I think um, people can go wrong and be overly bearish and say, oh, well, these rate cuts are priced in. They probably are to the bond market. It doesn't mean the equity market's not going to uh, delight in, the, in, in uh, these rate cuts, and as I've said many times before, equities are a gross asset, so quite dangerous to go against history and um, go with it uh, as it happens. The tactical team at at Coots are, are positive right now. I don't have anything to, to do with that. I haven't had anything to do with the tactical team for quite some time as as we know. Um as well. So yeah, I think looking good for 2024 for equities, high yield, earning risk premium. Mm-hmm. Um so receiving risk premium and being compensated for risk in general.
0: Okay. But I guess I guess what it does prove is because this came as such a surprise. I mean, because we've talked previous central bank meetings. We we often single out actually the Bank of Japan is the one that might spring a surprise, and it's all very kind of very anticipated, very well signposted from the Fed and from the Bank of England and the ECB. I suppose what it does highlight is that the perils of trying to invest, base your investment strategy on what central banks are doing.
1: Yeah, I think that that's that's fair. And um, look. Um, Certain macro orientated especially hedge funds, it's their job um, to be better informed. But if, for a firm like us, yeah, we've got to have a view. We've got to follow it, uh, you know. And um, you know, one of the best macro hedge fund managers I know, actually, uh, Alan Howard. Uh, when I met him of Brevin Howard, which is a long-established um, macro hedge fund, even though it's macro, I was I was surprised when I asked him about kind of you know how does he incorporate his macro view into into you know positions and trading and he always said to me and i think he says look we have a very good strong underlying macro view and central bank view but we're not slaves to it and i thought that was so smart you know okay. not to be slaves to it too often we can be absolute slaves to to that and uh that kind of viewpoint and it just doesn't work and mm. uh there's 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 hardly anyone better at macro than than Alan Howard. So so there you go.
0: Okay. One final question, and just I suppose to to strike a note of caution, if the Fed have got it wrong, and they start cutting rates and inflation sort of fires back up again, what happens then? Fair.
1: Um, markets will not like it. Mm. Uh, you know, a, a correction, um, a decent correction. And um, a tightening of financial conditions as uh, bonds and equities sell off, and yeah, markets won't like it. Markets will come to terms with it, you know. Um, hmm. But yeah, that is you're quite right to to po- focus on the the bear side. And yeah, there you know there are a number of investment banks out there still who kind of stand by that view. Yeah.
0: Okay. So in summary, then the Fed caught. Pretty much everyone on the hop last week with their pivot. No rate cut. However, very, very strongly dovish language coming from Jerome Powell, talking about the fact that they're going to look at needing to cut rates before they get to their target level of inflation. You know, they're very focused on the risk of keeping rates too high and that they're already discussing when they should start cutting rates. So really a big surprise for the end of the year. OK, so that's central banks we're turning now then to focus a little bit on looking back over 2023 with a sort of a focus then on on perhaps 2024 as well we're going to sort of split it into two parts I'm, I mean I suppose if there's one thing that's kind of one overriding theme that sort of guided us through this year it is we have taken a bit of a contrarian view haven't we which is Sometimes you get that right. Sometimes you get that wrong. I feel like I should highlight some of the things we've got right, Alan, because I, I don't, I feel like, I don't, I want to spare your blushes. So I'm going to make you talk about not. I'm perhaps- not very good at, I'm not very good at boasting. I'll be much better at the, at, at the second part when we
1: talk about the things we've got wrong. So, yeah, but it, I, uh, yeah, what, so you're basically saying how we basically advocated yeah. stock investing. Yeah. At, and there was, um, do you recall, even from our clients and a lot of publicity, not just the FT. I think even the Telegraph. I mean, maybe mm. all the main papers. The Michael Burry, big, the Big Short. Do you want to re- remind that our listeners of that situation?
0: Yeah. So I mean, we we very respectfully because we all you know we have a huge amount of um, respect for Michael Burry. He of the Big Short, who kind of spotted the global financial crisis. what well, the the um, the uh, subprime mortgage crisis before anybody else did, or before most people did. But he had. Um, we, we don't know exactly quite how he'd done it, but we know that he basically shorted the market earlier in the year. And I can't remember when it was exactly which month it was. But it did raise a few concerns amongst our clients and generally amongst the wider sort of financial media about whether he perhaps was he going to be right again this time. Were we due a sizable correction? Um, we slightly pushed back against that, didn't we? oh you did certainly
1: we did we did thank you um so it was 1.6 billion that number got referenced now to be fair that's the nominal amount of of options so you bought basically bearish options which are put up called put options and we pushed back because we pointed out at the time well something called skew which shows how expensive put options were compared to calls showed it was a very crowded trade and also do you remember um you set me a task go and find a bullish view on stocks in the we summer did. yeah I could barely find one it was so hard <laughs> yeah. to find someone I mean um most of the main houses especially Morgan Stanley and JP Morgan super respect top firms mm. who've called markets well but they've remained bearish for example and um it was really really tough that the person we did find in the end was a guy from fund strategy Thomas Lee mm. Um that was one of the few out there but yeah, we stood by equities uh, and um it was interesting um having Farhad on, you know, a bit more forward looking, and because one of our surprises for next year's equities could be double digits and no one's really focusing on that. Um the fact that the likes of Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan are still very bearish stocks is a bullish factor.
0: Yeah.
1: One other I recall, um, there was a Goldman Sachs review of their clients. Yes. Uh, they uh, it was over 1,100 clients, and um, they basically asked them. They set some ranges for the S and P 500, and they said, "How many of you expect the S and P 500 to be over 4,400?" I think it was about 4,300 at the time, and it was an incredibly small percentage. I seem to remember between 15 and 20 percent, mm. um, um, maybe even lower, maybe something like like, like 11 even. Um, apologies for not remembering as again you, you can tell it's not scripted but it's just come to mind today the s&p 500 is circa 4700 yeah so it was a really pessimistic year and to be fair to need to know we re- we did really you know we we really argued the case against it didn't we
0: yeah we did yeah we definitely sort of identified or certainly you identified that we potentially met sort of in, sort of encountered sort of peak pessimism and that in itself was a contrarian indicator, wasn't it? And that was an indicator that right. maybe they'd gone too far.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just bring it, because we want to be forward-looking, um, just like our surprises of last week, um, we stand by it. I mean, it's not become a consensus yet to be bullish of equities. So okay. uh, um, it's not just JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley. Um, a lot of our competitors, um, the likes of Ruffer, I've mentioned, which is well-known, very, very defensive in their in their positioning. So it's still very much out there. And yeah, equities are a growth asset. We've got this Fed pivot. It's hard to argue against equities with this Fed pivot. Yeah, of course, there's a bear case. There's always a bear case. So yeah, stay with it is our forward-looking guidance for 2024. And Sarah, don't forget your heavy disclaimers <laughs> at the end.
0: I will. So we haven't quite got to the point yet where bullish is the is the consensus. And then and then when it does, we might start pushing against it. Yeah. I mean,
1: look, um, people who know me, you know me. Am I known as an equity bear at Coots?
0: no. (laughs)
1: exactly so look i have been bearish i mean especially my career especially 1999 way too mm. early i think we've we oh that's the other thing we featured the big crashes didn't we we did and, yes uh, and, yeah. and basically said is this is is 2023 anything like the big crashes and we ruled that out yeah. by showing how different this market was from the big crashes it's all coming back to me now sarah <laughs> um all the stuff that we did this year um mm. and um yet yeah, still not uh, uh you know 1999 was the only bear market that I predicted. And even then I was, I was early. Um, but look, g- generally look, there, there there may be a time for caution, but I would say it's much healthier now with, with, you know, the equal weighted and small caps performing well.
0: It's not just the magnificent mm. seven. Well, that, that rally has definitely broadened out, hasn't it? Nine? Basically. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. Okay. And uh, on a on a related note, I did notice that Zoom apparently has dropped out of the Nasdaq 100 now. Those were the days, go. weren't they? When, yeah. when we were all that, those were the days. Home. Yeah. The, the other thing then, before we get on to perhaps some of the things that we didn't we didn't get quite so right, um, you you were sort of pushing back against this sort of drift towards passive investing and this sort this sort of this trend where it was almost becoming the norm now passive investing and there was less and less focus on active investing and are we starting to see a, that tide turning a little bit maybe
1: yeah so kind of a bit of a backstory so myself and coots have long been advocates of of passive or index investing uh, and um that's been quite successful um you know that's It's amazing how, you know, one relatively small decision can have so much influence and and therefore it meant our style had exposure to the Magnificent Seven. And just was it in October or November? We just went out there and said, it's gone too far. It's now gone way too far. And again, contrarian instincts. One, of course, the expensiveness of the Magnificent Seven. And a lot of amazing companies, absolutely. Cons- uh, you know, and and um, but you know they are expensive. One, but two, the, the weighting of them at thirty percent in the index, and then what really highlighted there was an article where I think it was in the FT where basically the article where some of the mainstream investment managers, the likes in particular, I, I think it was Aberdeen who said we're no longer going to basically do global equities or US equity and i just thought completely given up because it was so it has been so difficult the numbers are something like this over 5 years 85% of us equity managers have underperformed so mm. quite horrendous actually sorry i just saw an update on that it was 85 it's moved up to 90% so it's been really really tough so um our timing here has been lucky and it's way too early sarah way too yeah. early but when when the equal weighted S and P 500 starts to do better. That's an indicator ind- indicator for for active management. When small caps do better, that's also an indicator. By the way, small caps are also doing a bit better in the UK. Mm. And just maybe this this index um, weighting that we have in in especially in the U.S. market has gone too far. We shall see. By the way, I did say just in case you're a new listener, what does this mean? So the numbers will go from something like 90% to maybe 60%. So it's still going to be tough for active managers. Absolutely it's going to be tough, but, you know, maybe we'll see a bit of a normalization. That's where bond managers are, that kind of number 50, 60.
0: Okay. So then to sort of sum up what we got right in 2023, it was about particularly kind of pushing against that very pessimistic very bearish view we questioned it uh we challenged it and seems fingers crossed like we we may have been on the right track with that one that maybe things weren't as bad as people thought and that that consensus bearish mood was probably a little bit over the top correct yeah Uh, yeah okay all right well okay in the in, in the interest of balance uh we, we didn't get everything and, and yeah,
1: active versus passive. We're not. I, sh- I think we should say we're not really mm. celebrating that. That's going to take years to play out. But I just yeah. think it's worth mentioning, just because we were lucky. Frankly, uh, it looks like we, mm. you know, temporarily called it with this this breath. But yeah, just um, um, we're reiterating it, and uh, it, 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 I think it can have a real impact going forward. But let's see. That's something for twenty twenty four.
0: But yeah, Ooh, let's we'll-
1: let's. What do we get
0: wrong, Sarah?
1: Well, so much. exactly
0: <laughs> well, the first our first point of today we did we got yeah. that one wrong didn't we Well, we didn't get it wrong correct. but we certainly didn't see it coming correct
1: yeah so what do we get wrong so i can yeah so, so i think right at the start of the year um the consensus was recession in the us yeah we went with that a bit and people might be listening and saying well hold on a minute you just said you were positive on stocks and i said yeah we were because then we said okay yield curve inversion that's when short rates yield more than long, long long rates. Classic signal of a recession. Kind of hard to go against that. So we'll go with recession. But if you recall, Sarah, we called it the most anticipated recession in history.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and it may be very mild. And therefore, it's not enough for us to sell stocks. So we did have this kind of conflicting view. But nevertheless, you could say our core economics view was wrong, frankly, especially at the start of the year. And um, throwing that all in together, also our expectations for central banks, well, yeah, this Fed pivot we completely didn't see. And also we expected surprises from Japan didn't really happen. Mm. Um, They didn't do as much as we thought. And early in the year when we thought the Fed maybe nearly was done, it kept on rate they kept on raising rates. So I think it's fair to say, in summary, you could say um economics one out of ten. Central bank um uh Alan Higgins, because I, I can't blame Coots on this. Um Alan Higgins anticipation of central bank moves three out of ten. Um so so there you go. So um yeah we're, we're, i'm i'm afraid um there's not much mitigation there
0: okay i think i think we're entitled to get the old thing wrong i think that i think if there's one thing that characterizes need to know for me is that we don't sit on the fence i try and sit on we the don't. fence but you never do sit on the fence
1: well I, I you know because we want to be we do try to be forward looking um because that's obviously useful i mean it's useful for a bit of analysis of the past so let's take that i mean so what are the lessons go back to what um Alan Howard said from Bre- Brevin Howard um have a macro view have an economic view but don't be a slave to it yeah and continue that for next year. so we've just given you an overall economic view that inflation is going to be lower not don't be a slave to it you know you mm-hmm. just can't be um look we're in the wealth management business here not um a hedge fund but still still important and um, similarly on you know having a view on central bank policy important um, but it doesn't drive necessarily drive markets and risk premium what drives markets and risk premium is corporate fundamentals typically and the technicals of the market and um, so i feel a bit less bad than getting these points wrong Um, I, i think i think it's fair to say i economy and central bankers because I guess you could say, well, I remember what Alan Howard said to me and this, this is, you know, I'm talking maybe 20 years ago when I had this chat with him um, and it just struck me and, you know, maybe um, like a little bit of that has rubbed off his, some of his genius has rubbed off and that helped to at least provide the advice, not advice and a wealth management Um Mm. context but the advice to basically receive risk premium to be in higher yielding fixed income to be in equities uh, and and that worked so and stand by that for next year um look next year absolutely we expect the fed to reduce rates Okay, big deal as we mentioned it's discounted in the market it's mm. discounted in the bond market uh not necessarily in equities we think equities will like it a lot as the rate reductions come through and, and, and stay with it. And I, and I think high yield and credit investing is going to look very interesting next year Mm. uh, with lower rates also. So look, looks, looks like um, a very interesting time as for the economy. uh, Side with Jay Powell, he doesn't see a recession. Obviously the fact that they're cutting rates makes a recession less likely so um learned our lesson. It's maybe it's one of those very unusual times where the yield curve didn't work as a signal. Yeah. But you know, we don't always side with central bankers, but I think we're firmly in Jay's camp now.
0: Okay. So in, in summary, then we're saying, you know, reflecting on perhaps some of the things we didn't get quite right in 2023 and then sort of applying that to how we look forward to 2024 um have a macro view but don't be a slave to it and you know it's important to have a view on on what central banks are doing but ultimately it's not central bank policy that drives markets it's fundamentals it's 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 corporate earnings it's that's that's what's important for equities not what Jerome Powell says
1: well that's it's fair that's nuance so absolutely in the in the long run, Sarah, everything you said is true absolutely it, it is all about um corporate fundamentals, but I think it's fair to say quarter to quarter month to month mm. um fed policy can be important, and we did have that ten percent correction in the summer of twenty twenty three when Jerome Powell was pushing back about rate cuts so look it it sounds like we're having our cake and eating it here by saying, look, Fed cutting rates is positive. But all we're doing there is taking that Morgan Stanley report as a reminder, we said it earlier, there's been four occasions where the Fed has eased policy and there hasn't been an inflation problem and it's been very bullish and on, on average 22%. So um, I, I, I'm going to have to put basically say, look, Fed policy, Fed policy does matter. It, it does matter. The markets don't like higher rates. Markets do yeah. like lower rates. But I guess what I'm saying is that if the corporate fundamentals are strong enough, they can deal with the higher rates. Which reminds yeah. me, because we gave the example, didn't we, of the 03 to 07 period?
0: Yes, we did. Do you yeah. remember that? I so do. the
1: 03 to 07 period was when we last had higher rates. And I know these numbers off by heart. And uh, UK rates averaged five and a quarter, for example what did global stocks do so 5 and a quarter is reasonable on cash right global stocks in sterling terms 77% yeah
0: um
1: and even stronger in dollar terms was a period when sterling strong so that was an example where if you like monetary tightening didn't matter over 5 years so you are right there but that morgan stanley piece of research is more a 12 month view yeah. so um that that's when fed changes can be important and let's face it um Until this year, the market really wasn't liking. Twenty twenty two was an awful year, as you remember. Market wasn't liking high rates, but in the end, corporate fundamentals come through.
0: Yeah, okay, and we'll we'll be coming back to that because I'm sure in the new year we'll have Howard Sparks back on to talk about US earnings when when those are being reported in in sort of January time. Well, thank you very thank you very much, Alan. It's been I've certainly enjoyed talking to you this year. I hope everybody's enjoyed listening. We'll be back again in early January. Um, I suspect probably on the 3rd of January, because I think because we'll, we will do our prep. We'll, we'll do it on the Tuesday. So our, our our next episode of Need to Know will be on the 3rd of January. Um, does, uh, just all it, it remains for me to say is I, my usual reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are not intended to constitute investment advice, are accurate at the time of recording, and are subject to change. I so say thank you very much, Alan. Have a very Merry Christmas and a happy, healthy and hopefully prosperous 2024. Um, and I, I extend that to everybody listening. Um, I hope you uh, all have a wonderful time, whatever you're doing over the holiday season. Um, as I say, we'll be back in early January um, with more need to know. Until then, bye from me and bye from Alan.
1: Goodbye, everyone. And thank you, Sarah, so much for hosting. It's been fantastic.